0: I'm Jen Taylor Skinner, and this is The Electorate. On this episode, I have a conversation with Kat Calvin, the founder and executive director of Spread the Vote and Project ID. Kat Calvin was actually one of the very first guests on The Electorate back in 2017, and she's returned as a guest a few times over the years, and we've actually become friends. And every time I talk to Kat, I have a deep admiration for the work that she's done with her organizations. There are millions of Americans who don't have the photo-issued IDs, which they need for homes, for apartments, for jobs, food, medical care, and of course to vote. And the mission of Project ID is to help folks get those IDs. Additionally, there are 21 million eligible voters in the U.S. who don't have the ID that they need to vote. And the mission of Spread the Vote is not only to help people obtain those IDs, but they also help strengthen democracy by increasing voter participation. And they do this through a variety of projects and partnerships, some of which we discuss in this episode. I learned so much from Kat in this episode about voting laws, about the history of voting and legislation around voter ID laws. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Kat Calvin. Cat Calvin, welcome again.
1: Well, I Thank you. Back to be glad to be back on the my favorite
0: pod. Uh, sure, it's your favorite. It's my favorite too, actually. <laughs> actually, it's not my favorite, but anyway. Wait, I
1: know I have to know what is your favorite? No, podcast?
0: no, 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 no. Don't.
1: <laughs> Just kidding.
0: Cut well, that out. <laughs> yeah, you're putting me on the spot like that. Is I actually don't even know what it is. It's probably some kind of like feel good I mean because we were just talking about like the negative news cycle so it's probably some yeah. kind of feel good you know what I really like right now Mel Robbins <laughs> have you listened to Mel, her podcast
1: like, no I yeah her up.
0: yeah she talks about things like staying focused and you know getting out of kind of the mental ruts that we have yeah. you know I need that because we were just talking before you know we started recording we we're talking about how the negative news cycle is really distracting when you do work like this yeah. it's just distracting you know we have all of these mass shootings and I get emotionally caught up right mm-hmm. and like when you're in this kind of work and you're dealing with kind of politics all the time and you're talking about it and you have to do analysis of it I think you see, it's harder to pull yourself away from thinking about those things I mean we should be thinking yeah. about them because we want to change them so I don't, so how do you stay focused Cat Calvin on the work that you have to do uh
1: I mean I think that it is different when you have like all of the sort of, you know, A, like massive responsibilities of running two orgs, but also I'm like a very specific mission. So for me, it's like, I am like hyper-focused on, all right, I've got to like fundraise, I've got to get policies introduced, I've got to like get IDs, and like there's so much that I, I just have enough time to focus on that. And then I like, you know, it's me. So I also like am taking like two film classes this semester. I don't know why. I don't have time for this. I like, do all these things. And so like <laughs> there's so much going on that like I can't even tell you the last time I watched the news. I like I'll read it. But like I have stopped having cable news on ages ago unless something like wild is happening. Like if the Capitol is being insurrected, then I will turn on the news. Otherwise, you know, <laughs> I'm like I'm reading it. But like I'm really there's so much I am. That I'm like so hyper focused on work wise that it allows me to to see the things that are happening in the news and but just not fully absorb it because there's just not no space for it to be absorbed
0: right because you're you're doing the work to change the things that are the bad things that are happening in the news cycle right like your work is directly related to that, so that that's actually fine for you because we need you to keep focused on this work um. <laughs> But, you know, speaking of that, we are probably officially into the 2024 election cycle, which, you know, how yes. did this happen? First of all, like, you know, people are announcing, I think mostly Republicans are announcing, yes. right, that they're running someone too. <laughs> too. so it's, it's it's Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley, I think yeah. so far. Okay, and
1: Trump but everybody already forgot
0: about that one. I, that's I did forget about it. Wow. Okay. And so, so I did. That's really interesting. That I forgot.
1: That's amazing. <laughs> wow, that's, if if that, I were I'd important enough, that says it all. There you go. You know, if I
0: were important enough for him to hate, like he would be trashing me on social right now for forgetting him, but he yeah. doesn't know who I am. So, cause I'm, you know, yeah, anyway, yeah. One of the things that I have noticed about covering these cycles, you know, cycle after cycle, Mm -hmm. is that we don't talk about voter suppression until it's down to the wire. So we don't actually start talking until we're well into the election cycle, which I think is problematic because I think the media and people who kind of analyze these things, they set the tone for what people should be worried about. And when you get down to the wire in terms of voter suppression, especially in relation to voter ID as a form of voter suppression, it's kind of too late, right? That said, what does the voter ID landscape look like right now in terms of laws, in terms of people having IDs, in comparison to when you started this work?
1: That's a good question. So um, when I started Project ID Spread the Vote in 2017, into 16, early 17, uh, we just had the election. We had 21 states that had voter ID laws, uh, which was up from like four-ish in 2013, when uh, the Supreme Court tore out a a bunch of the Voting Rights Act in Shelby County v. Holder, which then let them really proliferate. So from 2013 to 2016, we went from like four-ish to 21. We are now at 36 states, I believe, that have voter ID laws. So since I started this work, it has gotten significantly worse. The Supreme Court... Is now a body that is almost always guaranteed to make a decision that restricts the right of to vote for certain people, unless occasionally there is like enough of a states' rights things for Roberts to feel like a little uncomfortable. I but <laughs> there far more of the Voting Rights Act has been torn out um, since 2013. There are far more restrictive measures. You know, uh, the Supreme Court has said that it's like. Ter- totally fine to require uh, both a photo of your ID and uh, multiple signatures for an absentee ballot, right? Things like that, right? Like they've, 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 uh, really okayed a lot of very restrictive measures. And so it is more difficult to vote now. Uh, we a, a marvelous new ID study just came out in November through the, I want to say, Movement Access Project map. I love them. <laughs> I'm bad at acronyms. But they found that we when we started, we had about 21 million American adults. What well, was the latest study? And that had been from like 2012, 2014. So we knew it was a little old even then. Um, but we we uh, we're at uh, 21 million American adults without ID. We're now at 26 million American adults without ID. So the situation has gotten worse, but there are things that I feel very hopeful about, right? So we, we have started a 501c4, the Project ID Action Fund. And in September, we introduced a bill to Congress that would establish a free federal ID virtually eliminating this issue, uh, you know, we just introduced a couple of pieces of legislation into the California state legislature that would significantly expand access to IDs. We're working on doing that across the country. There are some other great uh, local organizations working in different states that are working on ID legislation in their states that we're, we're helping to support. And so while the situation is is much worse than when we started nationally, we also have a much better handle on how we can solve the problem and we're working towards that.
0: Right, right. I, I was actually looking at that same study from MAP. It is Movement Advancement Project. Advancement. And, and you're right. There we go. Yeah, Movement Advancement Project. Um I'll put a link to that in the show notes. But um I think one of the things I just learned from you was how quickly it accelerated because I was looking at the history of voter ID laws and I didn't realize that the first one was passed in I think 1950. I think it was South Carolina. And then, you know, you had the, you know, for decades, there was nothing passed. And then I think in 1980, there were a couple of laws passed. But starting in 2000, and following Shelby County versus Holder, which I think you said is in 2013, it's just really accelerated. So we went from having like a few states, just like a handful of states, literally a handful of states, right in 1980, and 1990, in the 90s, to, you know, in the 2000, and the aughts, and in the mid aughts, just, you know, going from 21, I think now there's like, 34 to 36, I think, states that have voter ID laws, and they range in their strictness. But that's kind of incredible when you think about it, like how quickly this happened.
1: Yeah, well, it's not an accident, right? It it happened for a few reasons. So... I, You know, 1950 was before we had a Voting Rights Act, and so that is how South Carolina got away with that. Um, and then what happened with the Voting Rights Act and the provision that the Supreme Court eliminated that really impacted this was that there was something called pre-clearance, And so um, a variety of states and jurisdictions, and they're all over, you know, California had some, There, it's not just the sort of states that people sort of automatically assume, although those states as well. Had a, a a mandate that anytime they wanted to change anything about elections in their jurisdiction or their state, depending on which region was under this this mandate, and it was based on you know historic discrimination at the polls, uh, that they would have to go to the D- Department of Justice and get something called pre They'd have to go and say, "Hey DOJ, we want to do this thing. Is this okay?" And the DOJ would either look at it and say, "Yeah, that's totally fine. Go for it," or "No." Are you insane? That's super racist. Go away. Don't come back. Right. <laughs> and so that was the rule. And so this was the thing that Shelby County, Alabama was trying to get eliminated. And uh, which the Supreme Court agreed, uh, you know, when John Roberts basically said, well, we have a black president and like black people be voting. So racism is over. (laughs) Yay. Well done, America. And this is where everyone who didn't go to law school discovered what a badass RBG was, because this is where she made her very famous dissent in which she said, if you have an umbrella up and so you don't feel the rain, the thing to do is not to put down the umbrella because then you will get soaked. I am seriously paraphrasing. (laughs) She said it much better um but she was right and and so and so Shelby County or Shelby County Beholder opened the door but the reason that it even got to the courts is because uh there's this really regardless of which side of the aisle you're on you have to say an extraordinary organization called ALEC which uh it's and say to me that Dems have not replicated. Um, And ALEC is a legislative something-something. I I want to say, like, American Legislative Executive Council, but as we know, I just make things up to fill in the blanks. Um, But basically what ALEC does, and I... Either Colbert or Jon Stewart did a show on them like a million years ago. That was incredible that you should look up. Uh, but essentially what they do is they <laughs> write legislation. And they're, they're a right-wing organization. They write legislation, sample legislation that they then send to Republican legislators around the country who just copy-paste, add in their state, hilariously, sometimes don't, and then put it, you know, pass it through their their state legislatures, and then we have new laws. And this is why why you see states replicate, excuse me, replicate laws. And usually you're like, wow, that popped up really fast. Well, it's because of Alec. And it's because the Republican Party is very, very good at setting an agenda and then following through on it. They're excellent at that. And so what you had was... Uh, there were some some lawsuits and some states that were really testing out voter ID laws before Shelby County V holder. And so that by the time it went through the Supreme Court, they were ready. And so literally within hours of that decision coming down, Texas and Alabama started working on passing voter ID laws. And we went very quickly in three years. We went from like four states to 21 states having voter ID laws by the time of the 2016 election. And then it was like 36 by the time of the 2020 election, right? And it's because they had the legislation ready, they were prepared Prepared, they were organized. As soon as the, the Supreme Court decision was, was decided, they were ready to go. Uh, and there was no Democratic effort to stop it until it was too late. But because McConnell and the Republicans have also done a really incredible job of taking over the judiciary, it is almost impossible to get a voter ID law struck down by the courts. Um, in Texas, it's been struck down five times and they still have it. <laughs> Because Texas, yeah. A, they'll make tiny changes and B, Texas has this really incredible thing where their state legislature only meets once every two years. And so they always have two what? years for their like really crappy laws to stay in place because they're like, sorry, we're not meeting until the apocalypse. And so like, and then, you know, Wait, they, they only meet things. every two years. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's unbelievable. Texas is a country and their state legislators meet every two years.
0: Wow. Okay, I'm sorry. Please.
1: Florida's meet for like five and a half minutes a year. Like, it's unbelievable how some of these state legislatures operate and people don't realize they are they're not there. And on purpose, like very much on purpose. And and, you know, and and what happened in Texas is eventually dumps just gave up. And so so that's, though, how these things happen so quickly. Um, and why we started, you know, when I started this, I was like, we just got to get people IDs because it was very clear. This is not a reversible issue. It's just, it is not a thing that's going to change anytime soon. And the only reason it's not all 50 states is because, well, about two thirds of the country is either double or triple R, right, which means that they're either either two or all three of their legislative bodies are run by Republicans. And so it makes it a lot faster to go through. Rhode Island is the only triple D state that has voter ID laws. And so the other states are sort of the like few democrat democratic run um, states that have not implemented voter id laws but all pretty much all of the republican states have
0: Wow. And you know, I have to say, this conversation has been really instructive. And I'm not saying that I'm not saying that like out of surprise, because I know you're incredibly brilliant. But like, we've had so many conversations, I thought that, you know, what else do I have to learn from Kat? And I just learned a lot <laughs> from you, right? And Alec, it's the American Legislative Exchange Council. I, I did an episode Oh, about I, I yeah. got Is all
1: that right? but one word right. I don't know. Yeah. I said executive, but I got the rest right. So I'm pretty proud of myself.
0: Three out of oh, four. Very good. Very good. Yeah, I did. A, um, I did an episode about this a while ago, um, not a full episode, but just we talked about this. I don't remember what yeah. it was on. But you're right. There is not a Democratic equivalent because I was asking, you know, how do we see the, the exact question or the exact thing you just addressed? Like, how do we see these Republican bills happening state over state? And they're very, very similar, right? There must be some kind of organizing entity, and, and it's ALEC, right? And I think it's we see ALEC. that with abortion bills, anti-abortion yeah. bills, and all sorts of things like that. So how does the the ID disparity break down demographically? Because we know that it's a problem that's worse amongst marginalized groups, you know, I think 20% or over 20% of black adults don't have the ID necessary to vote and 23% of I think Latino, Latino community don't have ID. So how does race link to this?
1: I'm um, so I'm going to encourage everybody to look at the map study in the show notes for exact breakdowns because they have really excellent breakdowns of demographics. Um, you know, what I will say is it's it's a socioeconomic status problem like everything else in this country. Right. If you do not have an ID, you cannot get a job. Means you cannot get a housing or medical care or etc and this is why we focus very heavily on just getting people ids through most of the year and then during elections we will help folks vote but like people need jobs and a place to, to sleep and so what happens is that because of you know 200 years of institutionalized racism in, in this country socioeconomic status and class and race are all very much combined and so you have uh, a large percentage of the most vulnerable people in the country, and if you do not have an i d you are you are that population who are uh, yes, absolutely. Disproportionately, people of color, especially Black, uh, Latine, and also people forget Pacific Islanders. But Pacific Islanders and and Indigenous Americans really have tend to have the worst statistics, sort of in all breakdowns. But because there's such a small number, we we ignore them, and we really really should not. I've had to get a birth certificate from Samoa. It was wildly difficult I'm, because there's one guy working in like the entire vital statistics department and they were still under COVID and they were only getting one cargo plane of mail a day. So like the challenges that some folks have to deal with, are just things that we can't imagine living in large cities in America. And so, so partially it's that, you know, but it's also, you know, obviously largely the unhoused, Partially because if you can't work, then you become unhoused. If you are unhoused and holding onto documents is almost impossible because you either lose them, they're stolen. You know, we just had massive rains in L.A. Everybody lost everything. The cops sweep them and they just throw away or even will torch documents. And so that happens all of the time. Returning citizens, because we release people from jail and prison and say, get a job, do this program, blah, 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 but they need IDs and almost nowhere do uh, states make sure that they have the IDs that they need. And we also have a real homeless to prison pipeline because we've criminalized homelessness so much that it's very easy to get arrested and end up going to jail for sleeping in the wrong place or whatever else. You know, also former foster youth, foster youth are very rarely given the documents that they need. When they are released from the system, and if they are given them, then they don't hold on to them often very long because foster youth also have incredibly high rates of homelessness, of unemployment, et cetera, and f- often really complicated situations. I, I'm i on a real rampage that you should not be allowed to unadopt a child uh, because this happens a lot, and then we have to go through a really harrowing process with former foster youth of trying to get multiple sets of birth certificates and multiple sets of name change forms because they've been adopted and unadopted and this and that and back and forth. And it's really awful. You know, and then you have senior citizens who many times were just born in a farmhouse or in a Jim Crow town where black babies weren't given birth certificates or whatever. um, And they have never had birth certificates. Uh, You know, there's so many people we work with a shocking number of veterans, uh, an infuriating number of veterans, actually. And actually, the one of the pieces of legislation that we have uh, in California right now is to make IDs free for all veterans, which you'd think it would be. It's not. So there, there are l- just so many different groups of people. I actually I have a book coming out in September called uh, American Identity Crisis, and it is it, it breaks down a lot of these demographics because I think people don't really think about it and realize like, oh that like we don't think about veterans not having the id that they need to get care from the va because shocking it's not the va id and so you know there are so many different groups of people we don't think about who are exactly the people who don't have id
0: yeah i was going to mention your book because you you really do break this down the american it's american identity crisis not the american american identity crisis you should pre-order cat's book right now um because it's really important um but there's another group that i think that we don't talk enough about in relation to this and that's the transgender community you know there's lots of hostility directed towards the transgender community right now and a lot of states don't make it easy for people to select the you know their desired or their correct gender marker on their id or to change ids once they need their gender identity marker to be changed right i don't know what, what's the landscape of the laws around that right now
1: yeah. So it really widely varies by state. Um, and it's not just an ID problem. It's also a birth certificate problem. There are states that will allow you to change your gender on your birth certificate and states that won't. And if you can't change it on your birth certificate, then usually you can't change it on your ID in that state as well. And so there are, yeah, there are a really large percentage. Again, and the MAP study has a re- really good breakdowns of this. There, there are really kind of absurdly high percentages of um, transgen- transgender folks who do not have the correct ID because A, they live in a state where they can't, or B, because it's it's kind of a complicated process. It's not a cheap or free process. Um, often, um, you know, changing your name in pretty much every state can cost you a few hundred dollars, and you have to go through the courts. It's a whole thing. Um, I did it once, and I was just like, this should not be this hard, and I'm just doing it for vanity purposes. And so, like, it is... It's there are multiple levels at which it can be really challenging for someone who's trans- transgender to be able to change their name if they are able to at all. And so, you know, here in California, of course, it's pretty easy. You still have to get your birth certificate and, you know, depending on what state you were born in, that could be more or less difficult. You know, you still have to change your name, which costs money. But like you can have whatever gender you want on your birth on your ID. That is not necessarily the case in other states where it's it's impossible. So it's it is an issue that runs, you know, along the same, you know, political lines as a lot of, of anti-LGBTQ policies and sentiment that we're seeing around the country. And you know, there are a lot of states that are just never gonna make it, you know, or I don't know, maybe after the aliens land, if we stop shooting them down, then <laughs> there are certain states that might let you change your gender on your birth certificate, but I'm not holding my breath. So we actually have this very complex spreadsheet with all of the laws and procedures for every state and like what all of the rules are, because it really, really varies by state.
0: People keep talking about aliens. Sorry, I'm just going to go off script for a second.
1: Let's do it. And I it's just can't, I to talk I about.
0: Can't, uh, I can't stop thinking about the movie Nope. Did you see Nope? Of course I saw Nope. Of course, she's a uh, nope. And I'm just hoping, I don't know, I, I'm hoping that it's something like that, because it kind of did look like a balloon, uh,
1: you know, I'm the alien. well, nope. well, there's also and here. This is all on Joe Biden for telling us nothing. I understand that he carted these things up and took them immediately to Area 51, but he should have lied and he did it. So now we're all here speculating. <laughs> And there's the Chinese note mm-hmm. balloon, which I don't know what China, I'm so confused about how China <laughs> thought we weren't going to see a thousand, foot, like a small moon, like <laughs> in <laughs> the sky over Arkansas. Did he think, that? what China, what is you doing? Did, did they, they get it on Alibaba? Like, I'm so confused about what China's thought process was. I cannot figure it out. But then the aliens actually come and they just had perfect timing. And so now we're all like, what was that? A Chinese balloon? Was it an alien? Like, what's going on? And Biden zipped lips, telling us not a thing, because that's done really well in history. It always works well when there's UFOs and the government doesn't say anything. No one, no one's going to make a documentary about that. Yeah, but you know what? To be fair,
0: you know we've got Marjorie Taylor Greene, so they thought like you know they're not going to notice that's this. True. You know they they oh. they like people like this, right? So
1: I mean, you know, surely I, it's a, a Jewish space laser, and and we're all getting getting upset about the wrong thing that's true oh, marjorie okay oh,
0: marjorie. <laughs> okay back on ids right <laughs> um you know honestly do we even need do we need ids i know that's kind of a silly and very simple question but you know i live in a state washington state where we vote by mail and i've never presented my id to to vote i mean i have a driver's license and perhaps that's you know how they know it's me but you know if there are roughly what 16 or 14 states that don't have voter id laws other states can do this too
1: I mean, you don't even have to register to vote in North Dakota, because yeah. everybody knows everybody who lives in North Dakota. Um, do we need IDs to vote? No. I mean, all the all the studies have shown that we that we absolutely don't. There's voter fraud. Nobody's walking up to the polls in like funny glasses and a fake mustache and being like, "I'm Joe. I live at," and then trying to look at the rolls upside down and like guess any, an address. Like, it's not happening. You know. We do need we, – so we don't need voter ID laws, but IDs, you know, are actually really necessary for surviving in life, and that is where it's really absurd that we're one of the only countries on the planet that don't just make sure that all of our citizens have an ID. No other country has this issue, right? But, like, for us – we believe that you have to earn the right to live. And so we don't make sure that people have the basic thing that they need to get a job or access benefits or like leave medical care or whatever. And so, you know, it is... Incredibly crucial that people have the ID they need in order to live. And also for this country, I mean, over 11% of adults in this country don't have like the basic documentation that they need to get a job. How do we think that's not impacting all of us, right? Like, it's insane that this is an issue that is impacting over 10% of adults in this country and nobody is talking about it ever, right? It's 26 million people. And so, like, it's so. It's impacting all of us in ways that we have not acknowledged yet. And so and this is why then it is a very easy thing to be able to take advantage of when you want to make sure that certain types of people can't vote because we're already making sure that they can't do anything else. And so it's like, oh, well, this is a very easy group to kick while they're down. Nobody cares about them.
0: Right. And, you know, the the um org that we talked about in the beginning, MAP, the Movement Advancement Project, I think they they've clocked this at 30 million people, like one in eight people don't have an ID. And if you if you listen to some of the older episodes I've done with Kat, it's, it's much bigger. We're talking about this in the context of voter ID and voter ID laws, but it's much, much bigger than that. Right. Like and I would have to go through them now, but you can't. You can't get an apartment. You get, can't get a place to live. You can't get a job. You can't get benefits. It's much, much bigger. It's just living, right? It's who you are in this country.
1: It is. And it's it's why, you know, I try as much as I can to expand this conversation beyond voting because, uh, you know, just yesterday I had a client who we had been trying since May, last May, to get her birth certificate. She's from Indiana, which after New York is the most difficult state in the country to get a birth certificate from if you don't have an ID. Even if you do in New York sometimes. And so it took us forever. We had to just jump through so many hoops. Our general counsel is probably best friends and godmother of their general counsel's children by now. I mean, it took a very long time. And we just got it last week, it took almost a year. And so yesterday, I took her to the DMV and I picked her up from her shelter. And, you know, she just was thrilled and burst into tears when she saw her birth certificate. And then we went and we got her, her ID and now she can get an apartment. You know, she has a case manager who I'm practically best friends with at this point. And they have wanted and needed to place her into housing, but they haven't been able to do that because we couldn't get her birth certificate. Couldn't get her ID. So she's been in a shelter for a, almost a year longer than she needed to be, uh, which is, first of all, not a place anyone wants to be. Also, not particularly safe for single women. I'm, and all because of this document, right? And like now, she's like, oh my god, I can like, like she can get an apartment in the next few weeks. And so that's really, you know, when we're talking about IDs, that's what we're talking about is people who need a place to live and a job. And, you know, I had a, a single mother of three in another shelter who I just ordered her birth certificate for, and she wants housing for her children. And she can't get that without an ID. So she's got three small children living in a not particularly safe shelter on Skid Row, right, and like that's what this is really about. you know you could also sort of expand more largely to the fact that when you reduce recidivism, when you reduce homelessness, when you uh, increase employment, then you increase revenue for the state and for jurisdictions, you lower crime, like all these other things right like it goes beyond and it impacts us i um, you know as people who are housed people with i d s and employment but it's it's about people's lives and it's about the the safety and security of everybody and I think if we talk about the issue as that beyond just voting, um then it's something that people will talk about year round and where we'll see you know the wild injustice of these people not having something as small and basic as an ID
0: yeah. And people should really understand how this impacts people's lives on a practical level by, you know, seeing these stories. And if you follow Spread the Vote on Instagram, right, you, you, I think, post a lot of these stories, right?
1: Yeah. You can follow us on um, at Spread the Vote, I'm US and I think at Project ID US or at Project ID AF. Yeah. We try to share a lot of stories. You can also subscribe to our newsletters. And, you know, we, we really try to. Um, humanize this as much as possible on, on Twitter, on, on Instagram, because it is, it's hard, you know, 11% of, the, of, of adults not having ID is a lot, but that also means that 89% of us do, which I think is really a testament to the wild privilege of being an American because these things are really hard to get and they're expensive. And yet so many of us have them and we live pretty segregated by socioeconomic status. So you're very rarely in a room where there is a mix of people who do and don't have IDs, right? You're either in a room where everybody's got an ID, or you're in a room where nobody does. Um, unless you're at the DMV, it's the only place where we mix. And so it's hard to to really know what this looks like. This is the whole reason I wrote a book. It's the whole reason why I'm, you know, I spend all of my time evangelizing about this everywhere because I had no idea until I started this organization. I sort of accidentally tripped on this issue. I didn't know. I've had a passport since I was a baby and a military ID since I was 10 and a driver's license since I was 16. I've never gone a conscious day of my life without an ID. I had no idea that this problem existed. So I don't blame people for not knowing. And so we try to share as many stories as possible so that people can start to really get a sense of what this means.
0: But I do want to ask you about this really neat project that you have, um, Vote by Mail in Jail. <laughs> yes. can, can you tell me about that?
1: Yes. So in another wild injustice, uh, there are hundreds of thousands um, of incarcerated citizens who have the perfect right and ability to vote, usually because they are being held pretrial because they're just too poor to be able to afford bail. So we hold people in jail for years without being convicted of anything because they can't afford bail. That is a thing we do. Or because they've been convicted of misdemeanors, and so um, they still have the right to vote. Um, But outside of Maine and Vermont, there are not really a lot of places that are working to make sure that those folks actually can vote. So in 2020, we started Vote by Mail in Jail, uh, which is a program um, in which we every election cycle work with uh, jails and prisons around the country to help incarcerated folks vote. We, uh, we make election guides uh, for all of our areas, but we make special election guides for uh, folks who are incarcerated with specific information that's important for them. We train, uh, you know, whoever we have uh, sort of liaisons in the jail, whether it's a chaplain, whether it's an employee, whether it's whoever it is, uh, we train them in how to help incarcerated citizens, register to vote, fill out their ballots, you know, do all the things. We provide all the materials. Uh, We provide, we have a director of justice services, Amani, and she's amazing. And she sends little boxes. They even have a little mailbox that they can put in the jail so they can just drop their ballots in there. You know, so we really, uh, we try to provide everything that we can in order to make it as easy as possible for folks to be able to vote from jail. And, um, and it's going really well. We had uh, several thousand people vote in 2022 and we're, we're constantly expanding um, and trying to help you know as many folks as possible be able to to vote you're still a citizen even if you're incarcerated and you're still counted on the census for that community so you should be able to vote
0: absolutely i think this is another kind of forgotten demographic obviously right
1: one thing that i'll say uh is that right now you know it's february 2023 came in hot like 2023 just came in just slapping all of us in the face like yeah, oh yeah, you yeah. thought you thought you were getting a break that's adorable uh 2023 did not come to play and uh it's a rough year eggs cost a million dollars each i i had um, like, incredible grocery uh, shock. And I am single with no children. And I was like, I can't afford to eat. What are people doing? Yeah. Like, why did I spend th- $10 on three grapefruits? I'm so, I'm so angry about this. And they, look, were they the biggest grapefruits I've ever seen in my life? Yes. Were they worth $3.33 <laughs> $3. <laughs> each? No, $10 on three grapefruits. I'm still mad about yeah. this. And so, you know, one of the things, though, that happens is that while folks are... Paying obscene amounts of money for groceries and gas and everything else, the first thing that happens is that we uh, stop doing charitable giving. But at the same time, that's exactly what nonprofits are seeing more and more need. And so, what I would ask of everyone who's listening is, you know, whether it's us or whether it's like whatever whatever nonprofit you care about is probably feeling the strain right now. I know times are tough, but, you know, toss a couple dollars at them. I, it really helps. It really will matter. This is a very tough quarter, and I I am, you know, in a, a commiseration group with many other nonprofit leaders. You know, I'm always talking to different folks, and, you know, it is a time when we really need folks to to step up a little bit and to help us out because what happens, you know our average ID cost is $40. $40 is a lot of money or a not insignificant number of grapefruits. And, you know, what what happens is that maybe someone who could have afforded that six months ago can't afford it now. And so now they need to come to us for help getting that ID, getting that birth certificate. You know, I just spent $67 on a birth certificate yesterday because, because times are really tough for them. And so we actually see more need. And so I would just ask folks to think about that because I think that it's it's tough to understand if you have made the very wise decision not to run a nonprofit, what it looks like to run a nonprofit in a rough economy. And so feel sorry for us. Buy whatever nonprofit leader you know a drink or three and maybe toss a couple of dollars at their organization. <laughs>
0: I've heard this time and time again over the past like six months, maybe that nonprofits are really struggling right now. So I'm here for you, Kat, you know, please support Spread the Vote and Project ID. I'll put links in the show notes. And yeah, because we've got to get this done. Anyway, well, Kat Calvin, (laughs) thank you so much again for joining me. Your book is uh, American Identity Crisis, which is coming out. Please pre-order the book along with supporting Spread the Vote. And yeah, thank you. Thank you for all of your work. And thank you for talking to me.
1: Thank you. And you can pre-order it at uh, Calvin. that's cat with a K, dot com slash uh, pre-order. Um, it'll take you to bookshop.org. It's at other places. So, you know, you <laughs> could go to the Jeff Bezos lands, but you could also go to your independent <laughs> bookstore and pre-order it from there because you're a good person. That's exactly. Okay.